Book Two, The Great Gathering of Armies. Now the great array of gods and chariot-driving men slept all night long, but the peaceful grip of sleep could not hold Zeus, turning it over in his mind. How to exalt Achilles? How to slaughter hordes of Achaeans pinned against their ships? As his spirit churned, at last one plan seemed best. He would send a murderous dream to Agamemnon, calling out to the vision, Zeus winged it on. Go, murderous dream, to the fast Achaean ships, and once you reach Agamemnon's shelter, rouse him, order him, word for word, exactly as I command. Tell Atreides to arm his long-haired Achaeans, to attack at once, full force. Now he can take the broad streets of Troy. The immortal gods who hold Olympus clash no more. Hera's appeals have brought them round, and all agree. Griefs are about to crush the men of Troy. At that command, the dream went winging off, and passing quickly along the fast-trimmed ships made for the king, and found him soon, sound asleep in his tent with refreshing god-sent slumber drifted round him. Hovering at his head, the vision rose like Nestor, Neleus's son, the chief Agamemnon honored most. Inspired with Nestor's voice and sent by Zeus, the dream cried out, Still asleep, Agamemnon, the son of Atreus, that skilled breaker of horses, how can you sleep all night, a man weighed down with duties? your armies turning over their lives to your command, responsibilities so heavy. Listen to me, quickly. I bring you a message sent by Zeus a world away, but he has you in his heart. He pities you now. Zeus commands you to arm your long-haired Achaeans, to attack at once, full force. Now you can take the broad streets of Troy. The immortal gods who hold Olympus clash no more. Hera's appeals have brought them round and all agree. Griefs from Zeus are about to crush the men of Troy. But keep this message firmly in your mind. Remember, let no loss of memory overcome you when the sweet grip of slumber sets you free. With that, the dream departed, leaving him there his heart racing with hopes that would not come to pass. He thought he would take the city of Priam then, that very day, the fool. How could he know what work the father had in mind, the father still bent on plaguing the Argives and Trojans both, with wounds and groans in the bloody press of battle? But rousing himself from sleep, the divine voice swirling around him, Atreides sat up, bolt awake, pulled on a soft tunic, linen never worn, and over it threw his flaring battle cape. Under his smooth feet he fastened supple sandals, across his shoulder slung his silver-studded sword. Then he seized the royal scepter of his father's, its power can never die, and grasping it tightly, off he strode to the ships of Argives, armed in bronze. Now the goddess Dawn climbed up to Olympus Heights, declaring the light of day to Zeus and the deathless gods, as the king commanded heralds to cry out loud and clear, and muster the long-haired Achaeans to full assembly. Their cries rang out, battalions gathered quickly.
But first he called his ranking chiefs to counsel beside the ship of Nestor, the warlord born in Pylos. Summoning them together there, Atreides set forth his cunning foolproof plan. Hear me, friends. A dream sent by the gods has come to me in sleep. Down through the bracing god-sent night it came, like good Nestor in features, height, and build, the old king himself, and hovering at my head, the dream called me on. Still asleep, Agamemnon, the son of Atreus, that skilled breaker of horses, how can you sleep all night, a man weighed down with duties, your armies turning over their lives to your command? responsibilities so heavy. Listen to me, quickly. I bring you a message sent by Zeus a world away, but he has you in his heart. He pities you now. Zeus commands you to arm your long-haired Achaeans, to attack at once, full force. Now you can take the broad streets of Troy. The immortal gods who hold Olympus clash no more. Hera's appeals have brought them round, and all agree. Griefs from Zeus are about to crush the men of Troy. But keep this message firmly in your mind. With that, the dream went winging off, and soothing sleep released me. Come, see if we can arm the Achaeans for assault. But first, according to time-honored custom, I will test the men with a challenge. Tell them all to crowd the oarlocks, cut and run in their ships. But you take up your battle stations at every point. Command them. Hold them back. So much for his plan. Agamemnon took his seat, and Nestor rose among them. Noble Nestor, the king of Pylos' sandy harbor, spoke, and urged them on with all good will. Friends, Lords of the Argives, O oh my captains, if any other Achaean had told us of this dream, we'd call it false and turn our backs upon it. But look, the man who saw it has every claim to be the best, the bravest Achaean we can field. Come, see if we can arm the Achaeans for assault. And out he marched, leading the way from council. The rest sprang to their feet. The sceptered kings obeyed the great field marshal. Rank and file streamed behind and rushed like swarms of bees, pouring out of a rocky hollow, burst on endless burst, bunched in clusters seething over the first spring blooms, dark hordes a-swirling into the air, this way, that way. So the many armed platoons from the ships and tents came marching on, close file, along the deep wide beach to crowd the meeting ground. And rumor, Zeus's crier, like wildfire blazing among them, whipped them on. The troops assembled, the meeting grounds shook, the earth groaned and rumbled under the huge weight as soldiers took positions, the whole place in uproar. Nine heralds shouted out, trying to keep some order. Quiet, battalions. Silence. Hear your royal kings. The men were forced to their seats, marshaled into ranks. The shouting died away. Silence. King Agamemnon rose to his feet, 
Raising high in hand the scepter Hephaestus made with all his strength and skill. Hephaestus gave it to Cronus' son, Father Zeus, and Zeus gave it to Hermes, the giant-killing guide, and Hermes gave it to Pelops, that fine charioteer. Pelops gave it to Atreus, marshal of fighting men, who died and passed it on to Thyestes, rich in flocks, and he in turn bestowed it on Agamemnon, to bear on high as he ruled his many islands and lorded mainland Argos. Now, leaning his weight upon that kingly scepter, Atreides declared his will to all Achaea's armies. Friends, fighting Danaeans, aids in arms of Ares, Cronus's son has trapped me in madness, blinding ruin. Zeus is a harsh, cruel god. He vowed to me long ago. He bowed his head that I should never embark for home till I had brought the walls of Ilium crashing down. But now I see he only plotted brutal treachery. Now he commands me back to Argos in disgrace, whole regiments of my men destroyed in battle. So it must please his overweening heart. Who knows? Father Zeus has lopped the crowns of a thousand cities, true, and Zeus will lop still more. His power is too great. What humiliation! Even for generations still to come, to learn that Achaean armies were so strong, so vast, fought a feudal war. We are still fighting it, no end in sight, and battling forces we outnumber by far. Say that Trojans and Argives both agreed to swear a truce, to seal their oaths in blood, and opposing sides were tallied out in full. Count one by one the Trojans who live in Troy, but count our Achaeans out by ten-man squads, and each pick a Trojan to pour its wine. Many Achaean tens would lack their steward then. That's how far we outnumber them, I'd say, Achaeans to Trojans, the men who hail from Troy at least. But they have allies called from countless cities, fighters brandishing spears who block my way, who throw me far off course, thwarting my will to plunder Ilium's rugged walls. And now, nine years of almighty Zeus have marched by. Our ship timbers rot, and the cables snap and fray. And across the sea, our wives and helpless children wait in the halls, wait for our return. And we, our work drags on, unfinished as always, hopeless. The labor of war that brought us here to Troy. So come, follow my orders. All obey me now. Cut and run. Sail home to the fatherland we love. We'll never take the broad streets of Troy. Testing his men, but he only made the spirit race inside their chests. All the rank and file who'd never heard his plan and the whole assembly surged like big waves at sea. The Icarian Sea, when east and south winds drive it on, blasting down in force from the clouds of Father Zeus, or when the west wind shakes the deep standing grain with hurricane gusts that flatten down the stalks. So the massed assembly of troops was shaken now. They cried in alarm and charged towards the ships, and the dust went whirling up from under rushing feet, as the men jostled back and forth, shouting orders. Grapple the ships! 
drag them down to the bright sea, clean out the launching channels. Shrill shouts from the heavens, fighters racing for home, knocking the blocks out underneath the hulls. And now they might have won their journey home, the men of Argos fighting the will of fate, yes, if Hera had not alerted Athena. Inconceivable. Child of Zeus, whose battle shield is thunder, tireless one, Athena. What? Is this the way? All the Argives flying home to their fatherland, sailing over the sea's broad back, leaving Priam and all the men of Troy a trophy to glory over? Helen of Argos? Helen, for whom so many Argives lost their lives in Troy, far from native land? Go, range the ranks of Achaeans armed in bronze. With your winning words, hold back each man you find. Don't let them haul their rolling ships to sea. The bright-eyed goddess Pallas lost no time. Down she flashed from the peaks of Mount Olympus, quickly reached the ships, and found Odysseus first, a mastermind like Zeus, still standing fast. He had not laid a hand on his black-benched hull. Such anguish racked his heart and fighting spirit. Now, close beside him, the bright-eyed goddess stood and urged him on. Royal son of Laertes, Odysseus, great tactician, what, is this the way? All you Argives flying home to your fatherland, tumbling into your oar-swept ships, leaving Priam and all the men of Troy a trophy to glory over? Helen of Argos? Helen, for whom so many Argives lost their lives in Troy far from native land? No, don't give up now. Range the Achaean ranks with your winning words. Hold back each man you find. Don't let them haul their rolling ships to sea. He knew the goddess's voice. He went on the run, flinging off his cape as Eurybates picked it up, the herald of Ithaca always at his side. Coming face to face with Atreides Agamemnon, he relieved him of his father's royal scepter. Its power can never die. And grasping it tightly, off he strode to the ships of Argives, armed in bronze. Whenever Odysseus met some man of rank, a king, he'd halt and hold him back with winning words. My friend, it's wrong to threaten you like a coward, but you stand fast. You keep your men in check. It's too soon to see Agamemnon's purpose clearly. Now he's only testing us. Soon he'll bear down hard. Didn't we all hear his plan and secret counsel? God forbid his anger destroy the army he commands. The rage of kings is strong. They're nursed by the gods. Their honor comes from Zeus. They're dear to Zeus, the god who rules the world. When he caught some common soldier shouting out, he'd beat him with the scepter, dress him down. You fool, sit still, obey the commands of others, your superiors, you, you deserter, rank coward, you count for nothing, neither in war nor in council. How can all Achaeans be masters here in Troy? Too many kings can ruin an army, mob rule. Let there be one commander, one master only, endowed by the son of crooked-minded Cronus, with kingly scepter and royal rights of custom, whatever one man needs to lead his people well. So he ranged the ranks, commanding men to order. 
and back again they surged from ships and shelters, back to the meeting grounds with a deep, pounding din, thundering out as battle lines of breakers crash and drag along some endless beach, and the rough sea roars. The armies took their seats, marshaled into ranks, but one man, Thersites, still railed on, non-stop. His head was full of obscenities, teeming with a rant, all for no good reason, insubordinate, baiting the kings, anything to provoke some laughter from the troops. Here was the ugliest man who ever came to Troy. Bandy-legged he was, with one foot clubbed, both shoulders humped together, curving over his caved-in chest and bobbing above them, his skull warped to a point, sprouting clumps of scraggly, woolly hair. Achilles despised him most, Odysseus too. He was always abusing both chiefs, but now he went for majestic Agamemnon, hollering out, taunting the king with strings of cutting insults. The Achaeans were furious with him, deeply offended but he kept shouting at Agamemnon, spewing his abuse. Still moaning and groaning, mighty Atreides? Why now? What are you panting after now? Your shelters packed with the lion's share of bronze, plenty of women too crowding your lodges. Best of the lot, the beauties we hand you first whenever we take some stronghold. Or still more gold you're wanting? More ransom a son of the stallion-breaking Trojans might just fetch from Troy, though I or another hero drags him back in chains, or a young woman is it, to spread and couple, to bed down for yourself apart from all the troops? How shameful for you, the high and mighty commander, to lead the sons of Achaea into bloody slaughter. Sons? No, my soft friends, wretched excuses, women, not men of Achaea. Home we go in our ships. Abandon him here in Troy to wallow in all his prizes. He'll see if the likes of us have propped him up or not. Look, now it's Achilles. A greater man he disgraces, seizes, and keeps his prize. Tears her away himself. But no gall in Achilles. Achilles lets it go. If not... Atreides, that outrage would have been your last. So Thersites taunted the famous field marshal, but Odysseus stepped in quickly, faced him down with a dark glance and threats to break his nerve. What a flood of abuse, Thersites, even for you, fluent and flowing as you are. Keep quiet. Who are you to wrangle with kings? You alone? No one, I'd say. No one alive less soldierly than you, none in the ranks that came to Troy with Agamemnon. So stop your babbling, mouthing the names of kings, flinging indecencies in their teeth, your eyes peeled for a chance to cut and run for home. We can have no idea, no clear idea at all how the long campaign will end, whether Achaea's sons will make it home unharmed or slink back in disgrace. But there you sit, hurling abuse at the son of Atreus, Agamemnon, marshal of armies, simply because our fighters give Atreides the lion's share of all our plunder. You and your ranting slander, you're the outrage. I tell you this, so help me, it's the truth. If I catch you again blithering on this way, let Odysseus's head be wrenched off his shoulders. Never again call me the father of Telemachus. If I don't grab you, 
strip the clothing off you, cloak, tunic, and rags that wrap your private parts, and whip you howling naked back to the fast ships, out of the army's muster, whip you like a cur. And he cracked the scepter across his back and shoulders. The rascal doubled over, tears streaking his face, and a bloody welt bulged up between his blades under the stroke of the golden scepter's studs. He squatted low, cringing, stunned with pain, blinking like some idiot, rubbing his tears off dumbly with a fist. Their morale was low, but the men laughed now, good hearty laughter breaking over Thersites' head. Glancing at neighbors, they would shout, A terrific stroke! A thousand terrific strokes he's carried off, Odysseus taking the lead in tactics, mapping battle plans, but here's the best thing he's done for the men. He's put a stop to this babbling, foul-mouthed fool. Never again, I'd say, will our gallant comrade risk his skin to attack the kings with insults. So the soldiers bantered, but not Odysseus. The raider of cities stood there, scepter in hand, and close beside him the great gray-eyed Athena rose like a herald, ordering men to silence. All from the first to the lowest ranks of Achaea's troops should hear his words and mark his counsel well. For the good of all, he urged them, Agamemnon, now my king, the Achaeans are bent on making you a disgrace in the eyes of every man alive. Yes, they failed to fulfill their promise sworn that day they sailed here from the stallion land of Argos. That not until you had raised the rugged walls of Troy would they sail home again. But look at them now, like green, defenseless boys or widowed women whimpering to each other, wailing to journey back. True, they've labored long, they're desperate for home. Any fighter cut off from his wife for one month would chafe at the benches, moaning in his ship, pinned down by gales and heavy raging seas. A month, but look at us. This is the ninth year come round, the ninth we've hung on here. Who could blame the Achaeans for chafing, bridling beside the beaked ships? Ah, but still, what a humiliation it would be to hold out so long, then sail home empty-handed. Courage, my friends, hold out a little longer, till we see if Calchas divined the truth or not. We all recall that moment. Who could forget it? We were all witnesses then. All, at least, the deadly spirits have not dragged away. Why, it seems like only yesterday or the day before, when our vast armada gathered, moored at Aulis, freighted with slaughter bound for Priam's Troy, we were all busy then, milling round a spring and offering victims up on the holy altars, full sacrifice to the gods to guarantee success under a spreading plane tree, where the waters splashed, glittering in the sun when a great omen appeared. A snake, in his back streaked red with blood, a thing of terror, Olympian Zeus himself had launched him into the clean light of day. He slid from under the altar, glided up the tree, and there the brood of a sparrow, helpless young ones, teetered high on the topmost branch tips, cowering under the leaves there. Eight they were, all told, and the mother made the ninth. She'd borne them all, chirping to break the heart, but the snake gulped them down, 
and the mother cried out for her babies. Fluttering over him, he coiled, struck, fanging her wing, a high, thin shriek. But once he'd swallowed down the sparrow with her brood, the son of crooked Cronus, who sent the serpent forth, turned him into a sign, a monument clear to see. Zeus struck him to stone, and we stood by, amazed that such a marvel came to light. So then, when those terrible, monstrous omens burst in on the victims we were offering to the gods, Calchas swiftly revealed the will of Zeus. Why struck dumb now, my long-haired Achaeans? Zeus, who rules the world, has shown us an awesome sign. An event long in the future, late to come to birth. But the fame of that great work will never die. As the snake devoured the sparrow with her brood, eight and the mother made the ninth she'd borne them all, so we will fight in Troy that many years, and then, then in the tenth, we'll take her broad streets. So that day the prophet revealed the future, and now look, by God, it all comes to pass. Up with you, all you Argives geared for combat, stand your ground right here until we take the mighty walls of Priam. He fired them so, the armies roared and the ships resounded round them, shattering echoes ringing from their shouts as Argives cried assent to King Odysseus's words, and Nestor, the noble horseman, spurred them more. What disgrace! Look at you, carrying on in the army's muster just like boys. Fools! Not a thought in your head for works of battle. What becomes of them now? The pacts and oaths we swore? Into the flames with counsels, all the plans of men, the vows sealed with the strong, unmixed wine, the firm clasp of the right hand we trusted. We battle on in words as always mere words. And what's the cure? We cannot find a thing, no matter how many years we wrangle here. Agamemnon, never swerve, hold to your first plan of action, lead your armies headlong into war. The rest of them, let them rot. The one or two who hatch their plans apart from all the troops, what good can they win from that? Nothing at all. Why, they'd scuttle home before they can even learn if the vows of Zeus with his dark cloudy shield are false or not. Zeus, the son of almighty Cronus, I remind you, bowed his head that day we boarded ship, all the Argives laden with blood and death for Troy his lightning bolts on the right, good omens blazing forth. So now, let no man hurry to sail for home, not yet. Not till he beds down with a faithful Trojan wife. Payment in full for the groans and shocks of war we have all borne for Helen. But any soldier wild with desire to reach his home at once, just let him lay a hand on his black-benched ship, and right in front of the rest he'll reach his death. But you, my king... Be on your guard yourself. Come, listen well to another man. Here's some advice not to be tossed aside, and I will tell it clearly. Range your men by tribes, even by clans, Agamemnon. So clan fights by the side of clan, tribe by tribe. Fight this way if the Argives still obey you. Then you can see which captain is a coward, which contingent to, and which is loyal, brave since they will fight in separate formations of their own. Then, what's more, 
if you fail to sack the city, you will know if the will of gods is to blame, or the cowardice of your men inept in battle. And King Agamemnon took his lead, saluting, Again, old man, you outfight the Argives in debate. Father Zeus, Athena, Apollo, if only I had ten men like Nestor to plan with me among Ikea's armies. Then we could topple Priam's citadel in a day, throttle it in our hands, and gut Troy to nothing. But Cronus's son, Zeus, with his shield of storms, insists on embroiling me in painful struggles, feudal wars of words. Imagine I and Achilles wrangling over a girl, battling man to man, and I, I was the first to let my anger flare. Ah, if the two of us could ever think as one. Troy could delay her day of death no longer, not one moment. Go now, take your meal, the sooner to bring on war. Quickly, let each fighter sharpen his spear well, balance his shield well, feed his horses well with plenty of grain to build their racing speed. Each man look well to his chariot's running order, nerve himself for combat now, so all day long we can last out the grueling duels of Ares. No breathing space, no let-up, not a moment, not till the night comes on to part the fighter's fury. Now sweat will soak the shield strap round your chest. Your fist gripping the spear will ache with tensing. Now the lather will drench your war team's flanks, hauling your sturdy chariot. But any man I catch trying to skulk behind his long-beaked ships, hanging back from battle... He is finished. No way for him to escape the dogs and birds. So he commanded, and the armies gave a deep, resounding roar, like waves crashing against a cliff when the south wind whips it, bearing down some craggy headland jutting out to sea. The waves will never leave it in peace, thrashed by gales that hit from every quarter, breakers left and right. The troops sprang up, scattered back to the ships, lit fires beside their tents and took their meal, each sacrifice to one or another deathless god, each man praying to flee death and the grind of war. But the lord of men Agamemnon sacrificed a fat, rich ox, five years old, to the son of mighty Cronus, Zeus, and called the chiefs of all the Argive forces. Nestor, first and foremost, then King Idomeneus, the great and little Ajax, Tydeus's son, Diomedes, and Odysseus sixth, a mastermind like Zeus. The lord of the war cry Menelaus came uncalled. He knew at heart what weighed his brother down. They stood in a ring around the ox, took up barley, and then, rising among them, King Agamemnon raised his voice in prayer. Zeus, Zeus, God of greatness, God of glory, Lord God of the dark clouds who lives in the bright sky, don't let the sun go down or the night descend on us, not till I hurl the smoke-black halls of Priam headlong, torch his gates to blazing rubble, rip the tunic of Hector and slash his heroic chest to ribbons with my bronze, and a ruck of comrades round him, groveling face down, gnaw their own earth. And so Agamemnon prayed, but the son of Cronus would not bring his prayer to pass, not yet. The father accepted the sacrifice as true, but doubled the weight of thankless, ruthless war. 
Once the men had prayed and flung the barley, first they lifted back the heads of the victims, slit their throats, skinned them, and carved away the meat from the thigh bones and wrapped them in fat, a double fold sliced clean and topped with strips of flesh, and they burned these on a cleft stick, peeled and dry, spitted the vitals, held them over Hephaestus's flames, and once they'd charred the thighs and tasted the organs, they cut the rest into pieces, pierced them with spits, roasted them to a turn, and pulled them off the fire. The work done, the feast laid out, they ate well, and no man's hunger lacked a share of the banquet. When they had put aside desire for food and drink, Nestor, the noble old horseman, spoke out first. Marshal Atreides, lord of men Agamemnon, no more trading speeches now, no more delay, putting off the work the gods puts in our hand. Come, let the heralds cry out to all contingents, full battle armor, muster the men along the ships, now down we go, united, review them as we pass. Down through the vast encampment of Achaea, the faster to rouse the slashing god of war. Agamemnon, the lord of men, did not resist. He commanded heralds to cry out loud and clear, and summoned the long-haired Achaean troops to battle. Their cries rang out. The battalions gathered quickly, the warlords dear to the gods and flanking Agamemnon strode on ahead marshalling men-at-arms in files, and down their ranks the fiery-eyed Athena bore her awesome shield of storms, ageless, deathless, a hundred golden tassels, all of them braided tight, and each worth a hundred oxen flowed along the front, her shield of lightning dazzling, swirling around her. Headlong on, Athena swept through the Argive armies, driving soldiers harder, lashing the fighting fury in each Achaean's heart. No stopping them now, mad for war and struggle. Now, suddenly, battle thrilled them more than the journey home, than sailing their hollow ships to their dear native land. As ravening fire rips through big stands of timber high on a mountain ridge, and the blaze flares miles away, so from the marching troops the blaze of bronze armor, splendid and superhuman, flared across the earth, flashing into the air to hit the skies. Armies gathering now, as the huge flocks on flocks of winging birds, geese, or cranes, or swans with their long lancing necks, circling Asian marshes round the caster outflow, wheeling in all directions, glorying in their wings, keep on landing, advancing, wave on shrieking wave, and the tidal flats resound. So tribe on tribe, pouring out of the ships and shelters, marched across the scavenger plain, and the earth shook. Tremendous thunder from under trampling men and horses, drawn into positions down the scavenger meadow flats breaking into flower. Men by the thousands, numberless as the leaves and spears that flower forth in spring, the armies massing, crowding thick and fast as the swarms of flies seething over the shepherd's stalls in the first days of spring when the buckets flood with milk. So many long-haired Achaeans swarmed across the plain to confront the Trojans, fired to smash their lines. The armies grouping now, 
as seasoned goat herds split their wide-ranging flocks into packs with ease, when herds have mixed together down the pasture. So the captains form their tight platoons, detaching right and left, moving up for action. And there in the midst strode powerful Agamemnon, eyes and head like Zeus who loves the lightning, great in the girth like Ares, god of battles, broad through the chest like sea lord Poseidon, like a bull rising, head and shoulders over the herds, a royal bull rearing over his flocks of driven cattle. So imposing was Atreus' son, so Zeus made him that day, towering over fighters, looming over armies.